Good morning, men. Good to see everybody this morning. Great to be back after a um, brief hiatus in, uh, in Colorado. Uh, we did get some snow while we were out there, so I thought, well, maybe I ended up bringing it back with me. We had a little more out there than what we got here the other day. So anyway, uh, hey, take no. We got, uh, I guess, two more sessions. So we're done on, uh, on the 16th. So let's see, drive. We're talking about drive this morning. So yeah, sorry I missed last week, uh, but I'm glad I'm getting at least get the, the second part of it. But I remember somebody saying one time that um, it's amazing what can get accomplished if nobody cares who gets the credit. So think about, uh, have you ever worked with a team of people that just simply did what they were doing for the intrinsic value of the, of the challenge or whatever? How many have ever been part of a team that, you know, it's like, man, just, there was camaraderie and, and just excitement of, of what, was doing, what was going on or what might get accomplished as opposed to any extrinsic benefit from it or any other reward. You know, it's, it's exhilarating when you, when you get a chance to work with a, with a team like that. So, you know, intrinsic rewards, extrinsic rewards, sound like there's been a lot of uh, research on it. I was starting to think about, uh, well, gee, how does this apply to my family? You know, those of you that have small kids, how do you... How do you incentivize small children, you know, intrinsically or extrinsically to do things? So anyway, I'm going to let uh, Jim and Terry talk about it. Thanks, Paul. Thanks, and welcome back from Colorado and Lost Valley. I'm sure you had some wonderful food while you were there, too. Lucky dog. So, Derek, did you stay up last night and watch the final game of the World Series? <laughs> no. <laughs> Anybody... Uh, Anybody else as happy as I am with that Houston one? Yeah. Wasn't that great? First time they've uh, ever won the World Series, and it was a big surprise. The uh, last nine, there have been nine times, I think, there's been a Game 7, that the home team has forced a Game 7, and uh, eight out of the nine, the home team has won, but not last night. So... Seems like all the World Series and every finals just always goes to seven now. Is that... Do you guys notice that? Didn't the Royals they usually go to six? seven? Did the Royals, Royals one and six, though. So we're special. And five? We're really special. Yeah. <laughs> but they're calling this one of the great series as ever. Uh, maybe they always do, but I was really happy. Uh, we're in a book. A uh, number of you uh, were not here last week. Uh, three, four, at least, that I've met already. And uh, we're in this book by Dan Pink called Drive. Uh, for those of you that care about such things. Uh, he was the speechwriter for Al Gore and uh, then didn't have anything to do after Al Gore lost and, um, or whatever. So he wrote the book Drive, and it's, it's really, really uh, been provocative. And as Paul said, it's about intrinsic and extrinsic motivation. And uh, Derek, let's review this for the sake of those who weren't here. Yeah. Last week, just some basic uh, things. Basically talked about there's, there's three levels of motivation, 1.0, 2.0, and 3.0. And that level 1.0 is just our biological drive, the, the need for food, sex, survival, things like that. He doesn't talk about that very much. He doesn't need to, but he no. does talk about 2.0 quite yeah. a bit. And rewards and punishment. So the carrots and sticks, the... If you do this kind of work, this type of work this way, then you'll get X amount of money. You'll get this title, this promotion, this reward that's there. And if you don't, then we're going to 
punish you. And this is the way that uh, business, he says, works. This is a business is still built on this. He says, however, that science has moved ahead of business and shows that there is a motivation 3.0, which instead of coming out in from without, outside, carrots and sticks, comes out from within us and um, is really the joy of the task. And that's, that's where we are uh, going in the 21st century. So again, you have carrots, you have sticks, you have uh, motivating people with money, thinking that money is the way to motivate workers, and then you have intrinsic motivation, which is appealing to the heart. Uh, uh, to be more specific, uh, intrinsic motivation would include things like doing something for fun, for learning, for passion, purpose, mastery, belonging, as versus points, prizes, discipline, levels, money, and so forth. And uh, let me just, let's talk a little bit about money. Our table was a little interested in this, others were. Uh, when money is used as an external reward for some activity, subjects actually lose intrinsic interest for the activity. Rewards can deliver a short-term boost, just as a jolt of caffeine can keep you cranking for a few hours, but the effect wears off, he had said, and worse, can reduce your long-term motivation. Intrinsic motivation is fragile, however. To devour, as David Ober was just mentioning, it's impossible to measure. So to develop and enhance intrinsic motivation in children, employees, and students, beware external motivations such as money. Points out if you give, them, if you give children money for taking out the trash and you stop giving them money, they'll refuse to take out the trash. And so um, he had a strong suggestion, which we've added here today. Give your kids an allowance and give them some chores, but don't combine them. Isn't that interesting? So... Um, Derek, we came up with some verses. This one, uh, working hard enthusiastically. Yeah, we can. It's interesting um, that when it doesn't just say work hard for the Lord or work hard because you're going to receive this particular thing or this amount of money or this praise or any of that, but the enthusiastically part really brings out the, the intrinsic, the internal part, uh, the heart that God is really concerned with. Yeah, somebody mentioned to me last week, how does this tie in with all of those New Testament references to working for rewards? And we uh, reminded ourselves that, you know, we're going to get crowns, but there's this picture in Revelation of throwing your crowns before the throne. Uh, and also the idea in rewards, as C.S. Lewis pointed out in his uh, famous little book, that... Um, God's rewards give us more of what already we're doing. So that if, you're a, if you love um, leading, he'll give you more opportunities to lead for him in the future and so forth. Yeah, I think one interesting thing that we talked about last week with the money and the rewards is when it comes to money in our jobs, there's, there's a certain level, kind of a, a minimum level that we feel is necessary for our family to survive and thrive and, and do all those things. And so once we get to that certain level of money from our employer, anything above that, there's not a whole lot of incentive to go and do more to achieve that level if, if we're already meeting that, that minimum level mm -hmm. to take care of our families. He suggests that businesses pay well or pay above the standard so that, uh, but just to take the whole money thing off the table. 
Uh, interesting verse in 1 Corinthians 15 where Paul explains the reason he worked harder than any of the other apostles is because he's internally, he sensed more of the grace of God because he had been a, he'd persecuted them and he was just so shocked. So, so this is why we work for God. And finally, we should give, God wants us to give uh, based upon a heart desire rather than with carrots and sticks, reluctantly or under compulsion. So uh, now we're going to move to the second half of the book. Here's all the fun stuff. Here's, here's the meat of today. So he, he's, yeah, because he wants, to, he wants to get specific. He wants to say, okay, okay, how does this actually work out? Uh, how, how does this intrinsic thing work out at work? And so he, he as a re, I think he uses some studies. I mean, I think there's some studies. There's actually some science behind this. Uh, would, would you take us through what, in some ways, we think might be the most important or the, or the most shocking of these? And that is that autonomy is even more important than money. Yeah, autonomy, mastery, and purpose. So with autonomy, this is one of, one of the things in the book where he says, hey, this is something that really drives people. This is something that keeps people and basically what this is, is the urge to direct our own lives. And so we want to have some type of say, we want to have some type of free will in the work that we're doing. So we don't want to just have somebody tell us, hey, here's exactly what you need to do and here's how to do it. Clock in, clock out, make sure you get all the tasks done. Because when we are in environments like that, we tend to lose that intrinsic motivation. We tend to lose that autonomy because really we don't have any power to innovate. We don't have power to be creative. We don't have the time to do those things. And so when we don't have that, it actually leads to disengagement. It leads to poor quality of performance because there's not that internal fire and it's not something that's measurable, but it is interesting. And with autonomy, one of the things that he says is, you know, lack of free will and choices reduces a person's vitality. And he, he also points out that we want this autonomy in four key areas. And you guys might see that these are true in, in your work environments. But in the areas of task, time, techniques, and team. The four T's. The four T's. So he, he loves alliteration. Task. So task is people want freedom in and actually what to do. Yeah, this is what you are actually doing, the physical task you're doing. So if you are a gardener, you're, you're in landscaping or something like that, do you have somebody saying, hey, you need to put this tree in this spot and this is how you do it and here's the mulch for this spot? Or do you have some ability to say, oh, I like how this looks there. I like this technique to do it and that's the task yeah. that you're doing. So in the past, maybe in the industrial age, you know, you, you know, if you're working in an assembly line, you were supposed to put X number of widgets in these holes. So, so, but we have different jobs today, like landscaping, like that require craftsmanship and art. And so we need more f freedom in our jobs because of the kind of jobs we have, right? Yeah. yeah. But at, at the same time, there, are, there also are some uh, factory manufacturing type things where you do still have people who are, maybe you don't have as much autonomy because in order to make this thing, this widget, it has to be done this way. 
What's the second kind of freedom? What was the second T after yes, task? Time. Time. This so, is a big one. When we and, do it. Is that it? Yeah. So I don't know if you guys have seen it, but there's several companies who are, I think we have a slide about it. Um, Results kind of this, only. This work is mine. I created this. Yeah. It's great. It's, it made it in the book, too. Yeah. I made millions off of this. <laughs> yeah, they, they had to pay him a lot for using his last name. Yeah. But in a real workplace, notice people don't have schedules. They show up when they want. They don't have to be in the office at a certain time or any time for that matter. They just have to get their work done. How they do it, when they do it, and where they do it is up to them. Now, there's a lot of businesses, and to some extent, you know, this is the way we work as a staff at TBC. Doug Will is sort of in charge of that. Yeah, he still says, okay, there are these times I, I, want, ever, I want you here. Uh, so there's a lot of businesses that will do this for a percentage of the week or for certain days or just on Friday it's results only, right? Uh, oh, <laughs> so this is great this book. Is, this is one of uh, these are the people actually that uh, Callie and Jody who came up with the R-O-W-E idea that a lot of businesses are, are grabbing and the title of their book is Why Work Sucks and How to Fix It. And uh, their answer is no schedules, no meetings, no joke. The simple change that can make your job terrific. And really, this is what it's all about. And there are, there are companies, uh, row, row, row your, your company, uh, Gap, Best Buy, Netflix, all of them in their corporate headquarters have gone row so that, so that their, 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 their officers may come in at 2 o'clock in the afternoon or may not come in at all. The, whole, the, the requirement is simply that uh, they get their work done. Yeah, it's interesting. My, I have an uncle who works in a company, not one of these, but um, out in Silicon Valley area. And that's what his work environment is. He's, he's an engineer and creates things. And so they just say, hey, here's what we need you to do. Figure out how to do it. You don't have to come in at this certain time and leave at this certain time, but we just need to make sure that you're doing this. And so it gives him the freedom to, you know, if he needs to take his kids somewhere in the morning or they have a doctor's appointment or they have you know, things like that. He can go and do that and build his schedule kind of around some of those things while still making sure that the work is quality, that he's being innovative and is able to do those things. So last week, oh, uh, let, let me mention a couple of these quotes and let's, let's share what Brian Budden told us last week. Uh, some of the principles that go along with this is it doesn't make sense to hire smart people and then have them follow stupid rules. Or another one, it doesn't make sense to hire chess players and then treat them like chess pieces with absolutely no freedom. So last week, uh, we are chatting about this at the table, and Brian Budden, who, as you know, uh, is a colonel out at the uh, Air Force Base, says this so fits into uh, the fact that uh, everybody is freaking out in Congress, in the Air Force, that, so, that we are short by thousands and thousands of pilots in the Air Force that some of our best pilots they're leaving in droves. They're leaving to go fly for United Airlines. They're leaving for other reasons. And, um, and it's a crisis level. And he says what they, what they like is that they have so much free time when they go out to fly for Delta or to fly for United or whatever. And he says that's not true in the Air Force. I mean, he says, you know, your, your, your life, we own your life when you will fly and so forth. And so uh, you have all of these articles. He directed us to these articles last week. And uh, Brian's out of town today, or else I'd have him talk about this. 
but um, you have this you have this crisis down here at the base, at the Air Force base, and and across the country, and it really ties in with this. And it comes down to autonomy. Yeah, uh, they can leave and go fly for any commercial airliner and have control, some control over vacations and schedules and family and all those types of things. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So anyway, that's, uh, that's the first one, autonomy. Companies that offer autonomy today generally outperform their competitors. Uh, anyway, you hire good people and leave them alone. Uh, if, uh, Daniel Pink writes in his book, if employees are truly engaged in something, they get there under their own steam, not because management bullies them into compliance. Management, micromanagement is a complete waste of everybody's time, sucks the life out of employees, fosters anxiety, creates a high-stress work environment, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, he has some quotes in here, I'm not sure. Uh, let, me, let me read these two quotes real quickly, okay? Some people, and then we'll be done with this category. Some people outside of the company, this is a, a, this is a, a company CEO who changed his company to RO to Roe. Some people outside the company thought I was crazy, he said. They wondered, how can you know what your employees are doing if they're not here? But in his view, the team was accomplishing more under this new arrangement. One reason, they were focused on the work itself rather than on whether someone would call them a slacker for leaving at 3 p.m. to watch a daughter's soccer game. And since the bulk of his staff consists of software developers, designers, and others doing high-level creative work, that was essential. For them, it's all about craftsmanship, and they need a lot of autonomy. People still had specific goals they had to reach, completing a project by a certain time for ringing up or, should be or, ringing up a particular number of sales. But Gunther decided against tying these goals to compensation. Quote, that creates a culture that says it's all about the money and not enough about the work. Money, he believes, is only a threshold motivator. People must be paid well and be able to take care of their families, he says. But once a company meets this baseline, dollars and cents don't much affect performance and motivation. Indeed, Gunther thinks that employees are far less likely to jump to another job with less autonomy for a ten or even $20,000 increase in salary. And spouses and families are, of course, among the biggest fans. Interesting. Uh, tying in, uh, read this quote if you would. Yeah, money is only something you can lose on. If you don't pay enough, you can lose people, but beyond that, money is not a motivator. What matters are those other features. Yeah, very interesting. Yeah. And I think this uh, ties in with uh, what we know from the gospel, from theology, which is uh, our obedience flows not from carrots and sticks, but from the freedom of the gospel. Now, the other two categories we don't have nearly as much to say on because they're pretty self-explanatory. Mastery is, is uh, making sure that you're in a job that allows you the chance to get better and better at something that matters, okay? And here is where he talks about being in flow. Uh, he quotes Sebastian Coe, the middle distance runner and gold medal winner, who says that uh, the reason for his success was... He was always in flow, trying to get better and better. The bottom paragraph's the one I want to read. In flow, the relationship between what a person had to do and what he could do was perfect. The challenge wasn't too easy, nor was it too difficult. It was a notch or two beyond his current abilities, which stretched the body and mind in a way that made the effort itself the most delicious reward. That balance produced a degree of focus and satisfaction. And... Um, 
When I read this stuff on flow, I couldn't help thinking of sports. I couldn't yeah. help thinking of playing basketball and, you know, sort of those of you that have been in sports like you have, you get in this sort of a zone, that's what I used to call it, mm-hmm. what she calls flow, where you sort of forget yourself, you know you're working hard, you're absolutely exhausted, but you're happier. You're happier than you are at other times in life, right? Yeah, because you are, you're constantly working because you know that you have open opportunity to get better at something that you want to get better at. There's, there's always opportunity to improve. There's always opportunity to be better than the competition that's there. And he, he lists out three laws of mastery, which I think flow into that. He says that it's a mindset, it's painful, and that it's an asymptote. So for those of you guys who love math class, the asymptote, where the, the curve comes down close to the line but never actually touches it. And so when he talks about mastery, he's saying mastery is one of those things that as people, and I think especially as, as guys, we like to strive, we like to be the best, but we're never, going to, <clears throat> we're never going to fully master something. And so that's part of the drive that keeps us pursuing getting better at something is that we know we're probably not going to be 100% mastery, but we can always get better at it. And so that's part of, our, part of our drive. My favorite one of those three was mindset, where he says, you find a lot of people that think, this is just the way I am. I'll never get better. This is the intelligence God gave me, and so forth. And then you have uh, the other, the successful group of people who are constantly saying, I can get smarter. I can actually improve. Doesn't matter how old I am or how young I am. I can actually, I'm on a curve and can improve. And the difference between those people, he says, is remarkable. So anyway, he talks more about flow and mastery, and that's that's, kind of interesting. Some of you will know exactly what he's talking about. So uh, finally, purpose. This is, this is, we don't need to talk about this because, I mean, after all, we're a church. A lot of you go on you, you know, you live for purpose. This is the yearning to serve something bigger than ourselves. Now, his focus, of course, is on companies uh, that are purpose maximizers and not just profit maximizers. Those companies that we talked about last week who want to have a transcendent purpose, who, uh, who, who, who are willing to lower the profit margin a little bit so that their people know they're doing something to help, help people somewhere in the globe. More and more organizations want to have a transcendent purpose because it makes coming to work better, partly because that's the way to get better talent. The companies that are flourishing are animated by this purpose motive. Some examples, the founder of Skype, quote, our goal is to be disruptive, but in the cause of making the world a better place. Steve Jobs, I want to put a ding in the universe. That's the kind of thing that may get you up in the morning and get you racing to go to work. If we're purpose maximizers, not just profit maximizers, we can build organizations that make our world a little better. So you have all of these organizations, we showed this last week, that are combining business and charity now. They're called social enterprise organizations. They generate profit, but, uh, but uh, you know, they're trying to get maybe 1% to 3% profit rather than 8% profit because uh, they, they realize if they give up some of their profit, they can become purpose maximizers and really change the world. It's very interesting. Yeah. I think one of the key things about this purpose one, because for me, this is probably the one that hits closest to home, and it, it just for me personally is one of my big drivers, and it's very individualized as to whether you believe that you have purpose 
in the company that you're working for and whether you see it as really important. So the company that I was at previously, it was one where I'd been there for a little while. And so the newness is great for the short term. The, the money is good for the short term. But once you're there for a certain period of time and it's different for different people, for me, I didn't feel like the job that I was doing was actually serving a greater purpose. And so that's one of the reasons why it started to, I started to lose motivation. I started to become less engaged with the tasks that were going on at work. Not that I wasn't working as hard, but the internal motivation wasn't there to be there all the time. But when we have that purpose, I think we see that especially in the church, we have that drive, we have that motivation, we have that engagement because we know that we're working for something, creating something, helping something, helping people that's not just about us, but it's actually bigger than us, which is what he's talking about. Exactly. You have L3, they're called L3C companies today, low profit, limited liability corporations. You have a whole group of new companies today, social enterprise companies. So anyway, that's uh, the summary. This, this, uh, this book has been a little more complicated to talk about than some of the self-improvement books, but it was for me, of all of these books that I have in a big pile at home, and uh, uh, we finish here in two weeks, but then we have 12 more weeks starting January the 11th, where we're going to work our way through all of these other really famous best-selling books. This is this is perhaps the most mind-bending for me personally, Derek, of all these books, the one which made me think, I wish I would have read this book 40 years ago. This all, all this stuff about motivation has been really, has really changed my, my thinking a lot. And the book that we're going to go to next week uh, was the most spiritually changing for me when I read it about... Uh, about uh, about 10 years ago, as I was thinking about the last, <laughs> certainly not half of my life, but the last section of my life, you're going to find this really helpful. And it, it sort of segues right out of the purpose thing that we just talked about, how to, how to make sure your, your life has purpose by Bob Buford. Okay? The questions, uh, uh, we, here's some discussion starters for you. Number one, do you even agree that money is only a threshold motivator, that too low a salary, they'll lose you, but once your salary reaches the baseline of what you need, more money does, no longer motivates, but more freedom does. Do you agree with that? I'm not sure that everybody would. Two, when have you experienced flow? Maybe was it when playing a sport, or is it when working on something you enjoy? Three, when have you experienced flow at work? How might you increase the number of flow times and reduce the times of disengagement or dis dissatisfaction? Fourth, what higher purposes motivate you as much or more than money or other extrinsic motivations these days? So, yeah. yeah. Those are great questions. Well, we'll so find thinking out. about, you know, do we, do we agree with this? And then if so, how do you implement some of that into your family, your business, your wherever it is that you want to implement it. Yeah. Or maybe discuss the question if you have small children, how can you move them from from carrots and sticks to heart motivations, you know, to, to, to actually, you know, loving things. 
So, yeah. I've, I've stopped paying my grandchildren for playing the piano, for learning how to play the piano. I kind of want to ruin it for them. So that's a change I've made. I pray for us, will you? Yeah. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thanks for your goodness to us. Thank you for getting us up to come here early and talk about purpose, mastery, autonomy, and how you want us to be driven. You want us to be successful, but mostly you want us to be driven and to be successful for you, and you want us to see you as the highest purpose for why we want to be excellent in everything else in life. Help us to do that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.